Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, it's me, the Comeback Coach. Guys, I just want to tell you about a person in my life that is truly, truly amazing. And she's actually changing the world one house, one home at a time. Her name is Tammy Moses of The Hoarding Solution. She's the founder and chief encouragement officer of Homes Are For a Living, The Hoarding Solution, which is a veteran-owned and operated business. Tammy provides virtual consultations and workshops on the issues of hoarding. She believes in inspiring others to take their adversity and use it for the greater good. She is the voice of AKOPTH, adult kids of parents that hoard. She is also a voice and advocate for our, of, for YLITH, Youths Living in the Horde. You can connect with Tammy at homesareforliving at gmail.com and on Facebook at Instagram at The Hoarding Solution. So guys, if you know anybody that's struggling with ho- any kind of hoarding issue, please reach out to Tammy she has a heart of service and she truly cares about people. All right, guys, remember vertical momentum. The only way to go is but up. Hey, guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. Guys, this is going to be a fun episode, especially for me. I love talking to game changers and thought leaders, and this gentleman is definitely one of them. Hey, my brother, how are you today? Hey, Rick, how you doing, buddy? Can you hear me okay? I hear you great, my friend. How are you? All right. Good, man. Good. Another day, another dollar, I guess, right? <laughs> you're, you're getting, wait a minute, you're getting a whole dollar, really? Hey, man, it used to be back in the day, but one can only hope, right? <laughs> That's it. More like 75 cents or less now. <laughs> That's it. So so what do you got going on? What's new? Uh, nothing, man. Just, you know, dealing with this uh, transition process for now and uh, just trying to make the appointments and schedule whatever I need to schedule now for... Um, my retirement how long until you're out uh well that depends i'm shooting for august you know it's supposed to be august but uh uh there are a lot of delays with a lot of things um so we'll see we'll see it's getting close though that's the good news <laughs> so i get it's closer than than you than you think it'll be you'll be out soon enough so tell us a little bit about you know where you're from and where you grew up because you don't have a new jersey accent uh yeah, is that obvious, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, Rick, I, uh, well, I was born and raised in Romania. Uh, oh, nice. tra- yeah, Transylvania, out of all places, you can imagine that. No way, really? <laughs> yeah, Dracula's land, you know. Mom, <laughs> uh, Romanian, dad, Italian, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I grew up there, uh, and then late in life, in 1990, it's actually when I uh, moved to the States. Uh, I moved to Miami first, and then from there, uh, I joined the Army. Then I joined whatever it is I'm doing now, and everything else is history, man. <laughs> now, tell us, uh, tell us your recruiting story, because I love everybody's recruiting story. Tell us about yours. Oh, mine? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I start... Uh, working just like everybody else, you know, in restaurants and there in construction, whatever. And, um, but I was always an action guy, if you will, 
time. You, you know the type. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember, Rick, uh, watching the uh, commercials, you know, on TV. Um, and I remember seeing the Marines commercial with that guy that used to climb the rock, you know, and fight the dragon and all that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, this is back in the day. And I was like, oh, my God, I, that's totally me right there, you know. <laughs> So army was not not my first choice. Um, to back up a little bit, I was drafted in the Romanian army, you know, back in the day, and there was a total uh, um, heartburn for me. You know, there used to be a mandatory service back in the day, and as you know, from an ex-communist country, you know, there's not the funnest place to be in. You know, so I had kind of like a sour taste in my mouth when he came to the army because that's the only thing I knew, you know, so when you relate to something, you relate to previous experiences, if you will. So uh, anyway, uh, um, actually, I started, uh, I wanted to go to the Marines first and because of, uh, um, I was not a citizen at the time, you know, and so I was not eligible for security clearance and anything like that, you know, they, they didn't took me. They was like, hey, man, you only have a green co- not even a green card. I had a work permit and a uh, social security number. You know, it was not enough for them to sign me up. And uh, you know, so I was like, okay, man, it's then I'm going to try to figure out something else. And as I got out of the recruiting station in Miami, uh, I remember Rick, everybody pretty much on the same street. You know, the army recruiter was literally like across the street from uh, where I was standing. You know, and uh, <laughs> uh, he was smoking. Uh, people used to smoke back in the day, you know. <laughs> yeah, you don't, and, you don't see that anymore. Huh? You don't see that much anymore. Yeah, well, you know, it's good and bad, and but it's it's a personal choice as far as I'm concerned. So anyway, he reached out to me, and being Miami, nobody really speaks English down there, you know. It's like they call it the little Cuba, and I lived in South Miami Beach at the time. Uh, so he looked at me. He was like, "Mira, papa," you know. <laughs> He's like, what's the problem? He saw me that I was kind of like, you know, beat down a little bit. And uh, yeah, uh, he's, I told him what the deal was. And he's like, well, what, what's the reason that he took him? And I took, took you. And I told him, I only have a work permit and a social security card. You know what his answer was, Rick? What's that? Don't worry about it, brother, because we take everybody. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean it's 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 crazy, man. I, I hindsight twenty twenty now, you know, looking back at it, uh, uh, it turned out to be okay in the end, you know. But uh, uh, and it gave me the chance, I guess, Rick, to ultimately do things that I was never even considering possible at the time. I knew nothing about special force. I knew absolutely nothing about nothing, uh, you know, coming in. And it's but. Funny. Uh, I just released an episode today with another uh, former Green Beret, um, Eric Gray. I just put out his episode and we were talking about um, how a lot of people, when they get to selection. uh, Now, whatever we talk about, I'm not going to get anything, anything with OPSEC and all that stuff, because I'm I'm Army also. I'm retired Army, so I I totally get it. So we're not going to get into any details. Right. when you got in, when you got into what, what job did you take when you first joined the military? So I was, uh, when I signed up initially, uh, the recruiter asked me what it is that I wanted to do, you know, and, 
to me, there was like the whole gates got open and I got to choose. And I was like, oh my God, I want to jump out of airplanes. I want to do this. I want to do that. And uh, uh, he basically made cut a deal with me. He showed me everything that I was not qualified for. <laughs> it was basically taking a leave. So I started as an admin guy, you know, in the army. There is an MOS that now is not what well, used to be like 71 Lima, but they are not, they changed it. You know, it's called something different nowadays. But I remember it something that he told me that kind of stayed with me for the rest of my career. And it turned out to be true in the end, you know. Uh, the recruiter told me, hey, Claude, listen, man, this is not what you wanted to go, but this is something that stays in between now and whatever the future holds for you. You are right now outside looking in, so you're not part of the system yet. Get yourself into the system, and once you are in, you will find opportunities to get where you need to be, you know? Uh, I didn't know about special forces, but I want I knew I wanted to be, you know, like jump out of airplanes and do all kinds of stuff. And uh, uh, was basically a take it or leave it deal for him. He needed to make his quota, uh, mm. and I signed up like that. And Rick, I uh, uh, during my training, you know, my initial training, you know, during the basic training and the AIT portion. Now, where'd you go to Fort Benning or Bragg? Uh, uh, no, no, no. I was in Jackson. Uh, oh, Jackson. relaxing Jackson. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. That was that was my basic training, and then from there I went to Benning for for jump school. Right, I went back to back. Uh, and I remember Rick uh, looking at the, uh, there used to be like a, a picture, a poster, if you will, with all the patches that were, and all the units that were uh, a part of the U.S. Army, you know. And I remember looking at it during my basic training, Rick, and, and, and seeing that Special Forces patch, you know. And I was like, oh my God, man, who are those guys? <laughs> you know, and then you start learning you know, from your drill sergeants about them and all that. And uh, I told my uh, battle buddy at the time, I was an E nothing, you know, I was an E zero signing up. Uh, and I survived a revolution back in Romania, you know, and all that. And as I started learning more and more about those guys, I was like, I always thought to myself, you know, I was like, man, if I would have had a group of guys like this back home, we probably would have been a lot better off today. Uh, with the little knowledge I had at the time about the Green Berets and what they're doing. Uh, so anyway, I uh, I told my brother about it. Hey, man, this is at one point I'm going to put that patch on my shoulder. You watch. And of course, everybody laughed. You know, the drill sergeant overheard the conversations eventually. And we did more push-up than we can remember. That's <laughs> a punishment. Because I didn't have anything, man. Uh, you needed to be an E5. You needed to be a citizen. You need to have certain time in the army. You need to be eligible for security clearance. None of which I had at the time, but I knew that I eventually I wanted to do this. So there was this crazy set of circumstances, I guess, Rick, uh, to where the guys from the 82nd, you know, from the from the Airborne Division, they showed up and they were recruiting for the 82nd. In other words, they were asking, hey, who wants to go to jump school? But you have to sign two-year contract with, you know, for Bragg. With the 82nd, no questions asked. And of course, I raised my hand and I was like, man, just right here, you know, sign me up. So I didn't took any breaks between my basic training. I went to AIT and then from there I went straight to straight to Benning, you know. And I remember it, uh, it was the second week of ju the jump school when September 11 happened, you know. And 
obviously the whole show stopped they brought us in and we knew eventually we we're gonna go to war and stuff like that and i was you know just you know psyched to do my part and uh, from there i reported to the 82nd and uh, instead even though i had signed a contract with them there was what you would call a breach in contract back then special forces and you know other units tier one units took priority pending whatever was about to happen next and uh, the group here in carson needed me needed my MOS. although they didn't know who i was you know they just needed this this skill set that i had and i was sent straight to 10 special forces looking for carson colorado and from there everything is history all right, so now, you know, since I've been doing the show, I've done over 300 interviews. Yeah. A lot of uh, special operators, you know, uh, Green Berets, SEALs. Uh, mm-hmm. And talk to me about, or talk to our, about, you know, I'm sure that when you were going through the selection process. Yeah. There were a lot of people that quit. Yes, yes. What was your mindset? You know, it was like when I was talking to um, a guy named John McCaskill, he's a Navy SEAL commander, retired. Mm-hmm. He, you know, when he was going through selection, it was just, I'm going to do the one more push up. I'm going to do whatever they ask me to do. I'm either going to pass out or I'm going to die, but I'm not going to quit. So, right. what was your mentality? Yeah, uh, that's that sounds actually very very familiar so rick i want to the thing about the guys that are doing these kind of jobs you know is is it it's being physically fit rick it helps uh but it's not what's going to get you across the the finish line you know i always said rick a, a strong person in life is not a strong body it's a strong mind so with that being said, it's true. I, I started my selection class with 400 some odd dudes and like less than 50 graduated. And what got me through was pretty much exactly the same thing, man. When I went in, before I actually even got there, uh, I asked myself this question, you know, and I had the, uh, the, the privilege of working in a uh, special forces group as a support kid, you know, before I got there, but that mentality kind of uh, rubbed off, you know, and uh, I, I was looking at the guys that were at the time operators and I was like, oh my God, man, how in the hell are you guys doing it? Because to me, everything they were doing was like magic, you know, uh, and I couldn't quite wrap my hand around it. And I had an older guy, older team sergeant that told me that Claude, before you even go in, before you even attempt selection, uh, before you even start training up for it, the first question that you need to answer yourself is, is this what I really want to do? Uh, and if the answer is yes, there is nothing, no, nothing that can stop you, man. But if you have any kind of, of um, you know, if you... If you're not a hundred percent sure, you know you're gonna go through hell, you know. Uh, then sooner or later, the selection is designed to to break you down physically, mentally, and everything else. Um, and that's the whole point of it. Once you reach that limit, can you still push forward? And I took it one day at a time, Rick. You know, um, exactly like your guy said. Yeah, I, I, I no matter what happened, I, I either die in here, 
or I, I move, you know, I, I see it through. And, and I you was know, lucky enough not to get injured, you know. And, yeah, I mean, like, you know, now I've been around a lot of veterans, a lot of, you know, special operators. And like before I started doing this, you know, I would think when I think special operator, I think Rambo. You know, and then, <laughs> that's exactly that's funny because it's exactly the image I had in my head going in, and then I now I know better. <laughs> and then a lot of the guys that I meet are like they look like my accountant. You yes, know? yes, but so I, true. And I find that you know, um, <laughs> it was because the reason why they made it through selection was because they just would not quit, no yeah. matter what. They would they'd rather pass out than quit. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes, it's 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 funny you, you mentioned that because there are so many and so much misunderstanding, I guess, and 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 misnomer about us. And not when I'm saying us, I'm not specifically talking about Green Berets, right? Mm-hmm. Talking about special operations as a whole. Um, and if you have not done it, or if you have not been exposed to it to this environment, people have all kind of ideas of of, of like they have they really have no roots in reality. You know, uh, again, going back to what I told you before and what was told to me at a younger age, uh, a strong person is not a strong body. It's a strong mind, you know, and that is what the, the true difference, I guess, between us and, and uh, let's say the rest of the army or everybody else on the outside who otherwise have not even considered doing this. It's not the skill set, Rick, and it's not the how many schools and you've been a sniper. You can take anybody, you know really and train them to a certain extent is the way that you look at things Rick, and your mentality that makes the difference in the end you know okay now i have a question because uh yes, sir. and i and I'm really interested and by the way i'm so grateful that you're taking the time to hang out with me today oh please don't even yes thank you for having me Rick. My, my father he grew up in italy um he moved to america didn't know the language mm-hmm. and and ended up retiring early, buying his house with cash. He didn't use any excuses. It was just hard work. Nice. So you could have sat back and come to America and use all the excuses out there. Well, you know, I, I'm not from here. And you could have used all the excuses. What was it that made you decide that you want to do something more with your life than just be the average guy? Oh, my gosh. Uh... You know, I never, I never really thought about it that way. Rick, I, uh, I was born and I was raised in a totally different world than here, you know, and was communism back then, you know, everything was rationalized, Rick. We didn't have power. We had power three hours a day, you know, the food, the milk, the everything you have to made a line at the store in the morning, you know, to be able to go get your necessities. And it was never enough for anybody, for everybody. Um, so growing up like that, this, this was going on for like after the Second World War up until 89, right, when the communist bloc collapsed. In top of all that, Rick, uh, there was a total shutdown of the country self, meaning there was no communication with the outside world, you know. So why I'm saying this is, is whatever it is that you live, sooner or later, that will become your reality. You know, because you don't know anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, why wrong or indifferent, that will shape your persona, uh, uh, if you will. 
And I didn't know that the rest of the world was, was living any different than we were until I left. And then it was a total, it, it was a shock. You know, it was a shock for me to see that it's actually freedom. We didn't know what that really meant because we couldn't travel anywhere. We couldn't listen to radio audience, foreign radio stations. We, nothing from the outside was coming in. I mean, that, that was the type of environment back then. Um, and uh, when I saw different, I consider myself blessed just to be able to get out of that country when so many others were, weren't that lucky. So when I came here, uh, I uh, to me to me it was easy, right? Because if nothing else, I had the the choice to say no to something. I don't know if this makes sense to you, Rick. But when everything is spoon fed to you, and everything is cookie cutter to you, and you either do it or you don't, you have no choices. Having choices in life is it's it's it's, it's an amazing thing. It's freedom, it, it's an amazing thing. And I wanted to do my my part and leave you know i didn't have a family at the time but I, I said you know if if god bless me with a family at some point and kids and whatever i want to give them the chance to live in a better world the ones i the one i came from and right. that was motivation enough for me to to and that seems this this doing my part you know and, and being able to to give back i guess for all the blessings, I, I I was blessed with being here in the states alone. Uh, it was a no-brainer, man. That's what I'm sure that you know, like you come, like my dad came from another country um, where it, it was kind of rough, but not as rough as what you're talking about. But all of a sudden, you come to Miami in in the late '80s, early '90s, where it's hot women, hot cars. <laughs> and True. You could have yeah. went the total opposite way. Yes, yes. But you chose to do the honorable thing. Well, I didn't want. Uh, I, yes, it, and it's not. It's not an easy choice to make because Miami is 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 really, you know, you can do anything down there, you know. And but sooner or later, if you choose the easy way route, and let's use that terminology from now, you know exactly what I mean you will end up bad it's it's you you play it's 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 inevitable you know and what i wanted to do i wanted to have a future here Rick, and i wanted to do um uh, to build that on a solid solid ground because i never had that man to me the choice would have been going back to romania and that was like what the, i just got out of there and now i see what's in here and i see everything that i can do and it's the only time rick uh at the time I was, when I joined the army, man, I was like already, I was an older guy uh, for all intensive. I was 26 years old at the time, you know. Um, and I lived in Italy too uh, for a minute. And I, I have seen a little bit of Europe before I got here in the first place. But I never felt as home or I never had that feeling that I can do everything I put my mind on more than here. In no other place, man. And, and uh, that's what I choose to go this round. I was like, hey, look, uh, if I can build a future, if I can have a, 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 a and, and, you know, a family, I can raise a family of this and I'm able to be active, you know, and just I, sign me up, coach. And then from yep. there, everything is history. And, you know, and I love it that, you know, a lot of guys, you know, they'll, you know, would maybe get their, you know, they'd go to jump school 
um, you know, maybe get their, their tab, you know, get their beret and, you know, do their eight, 10 years happy. Then they get out and then they go to Afghanistan and, um, you know, work for the government doing private security. But you kind of like decide, all right, you know, I got the beret, I got the tab. uh, How would I go be a sniper? (laughs) It seemed like you just kept on pushing forward because you wanted more, not, you know, not more things, but you just wanted to keep on improving your, your skill set. So what was it? What was sniper school? Like, is it, what was it really like? And not what was you see the stuff in the movies? Yeah. Um, and you don't have to go in certain obstacles, you know. I, no, you know, no, 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 no. Absolutely, no, no. Uh, it was so. By the time I went to sniper school, I already had uh, two deployments under my belt as a Green Beret. Um, I did the invasion of Iraq, and then I did the next uh, um, major Iraq tour. And uh, I thought, I thought that. I know everything there is to know about, about shooting, combat, real life, and all that, you know, because you, you know, you young, you are still naive at that point, man. You know, just because you've done a few things here and there doesn't mean you know everything, but the mentality was such, and the group of people I was working with, I mean, they were phenomenal. I was blessed enough, Rick, to be in really, really solid things, you know, with very mature individuals, and and that that kind of like kept me pushing forward. So anyway, uh, going back to your question, what was sniper school? Was like nothing. I and I'm I'm being as honest, um, hand to God, man. Uh, nothing that I expected. I went in there with a bit of an attitude, Rick. Um, as a combat vet, most of the guys that were teaching at the school, they have never been deployed. Uh, in a combat operation at the time because it was so new, you know, uh, and they were, they've been in SWIG for like three years, you know, it's like a three-year tour. Uh, and uh, they kind of gave me a little bit of, yeah, in a sense, I know more about real life than you do. But there was an older gentleman that was my, one of our sniper instructors, you know, an old Vietnam guy. And believe you me, as a parenthesis right now, when I'm telling you this, Rick, they don't build them like that no more. This was a totally different group of, of people and different mentality. And I often said, even to this day, Rick, that if we, even in our job, if we can turn out half the men they were, this country would be such a better place, man. It's, it's, it's crazy. But anyway, he was the one that from the very first day when, when, when he spoke, you know, he demanded that, that respect and it's, it, it was genuine, you know. He was a civilian, you know, hired there as a, was working as a sniper instructor. He didn't have no rank, no nothing, but it was a lot of wisdom about him. And when, and when you come across people like that, you can, you, you, you flabbergasted, man. You stop in awe and you listen to what they say. And he said, this is the very first day that we got in. He said, regardless where you come from, regardless of what your background and how much you think that you know, when it comes to sniping, know that you don't know anything. And that allows you to come in here with an open mind and learn what we teach you. And and I never look at, after I graduated the course, I never look at, at shooting with the same eyes again because I, I, I it's a whole different level of understanding when it comes to this. So 
sniping is not, um, you know, like you see in the movies, man. You know, one shot, one kill, one. Listen, people can say this, and by all means, keep meat alive, but reality is totally different, man. You know, because um, like, I talked to somebody, you know, him and him and Chris Kyle, they were in the same place. Yeah, they yeah. went to school together, and they said that the one thing that they learned most was mm. patience. Oh, my God. Being patient and just sitting there for hours upon hours. Oh, so, my God. So does that was that something you really learned how? Oh, do? my God. Rick, Rick, listen, you do that in the schoolhouse but not to the extent you are actually doing it in real life. So as a, as there is a difference, you know, and, and as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's, it's one of those kind of like, to be completely honest, badge protectors, if you will. And it should not be the case between a level one and a level two sniper. Um, and it has more to do with the type of operations that you go in. You know, level one sniper, you're the only one authorized to shoot over friendly heads into a room full of assaulters where a level two sniper doesn't, is not authorized to do that. But when it comes to the shooting part itself, every one of us goes to exactly the same training. There is no difference, really. It just comes down to the individual, you know. We are talking about authorities here. But 80% of the time, Rick, if I were to quantify it, you are a, a, a intel collector more than a shooter, you know. And that's the, the real world of sniping, man. I mean, you you are the one that are you are at the eyes on before the assault force even gets there. Sometimes you don't squeeze the trigger at all. Sometimes your trigger is a camera, you know. And you know, one thing I you know I've picked up that a lot of it was you know because I was a I was a tanker, so yeah. you know this the the um scouts the gunner and the TC has to be hand in hand working right. and. So I'm sure that you had to, you really built your relationships with your spotters. So where you actually can just look at each other and think what you're thinking. Is that correct? Oh, oh yes. Uh, so things have changed to a certain extent nowadays because you have the uh, computers now that compute the shot for you, you know, if you will. And I'm, we're not going to give names in here, but you know exactly what I'm saying. But you're absolutely right, man. Uh, you and your spotter are one and you have to, trust each other to the point where uh, there is no doubt. Even if you see something else through your scope, when you are on glass, you know, when you when you are ready to squeeze the trigger, if your spotter, or back then was, we were doing wind calls and all that, you know, the old school, if you will. Yeah, uh, I remember the old school. Yeah, you have to trust them and you cannot hesitate. It's a certain communication that goes between the two of you. And it's a certain timing that everything has to happen because, you know, the environment changes, wind changes and the mirage changes and all that. And uh, to get to that, we call it a synergy, you know, between you two. But you're absolutely right, man. You 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 spend so much time with him, you're going to love to hate him. But when the moment comes, it's, it's, you, you are basically, you operate as a unit. You know, and he's the only one that's got your back, and 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 you are the only one that's got his. Um, no, I love that. You know, and obviously you spent a lot of time in the military, um, and eventually, I'm sure that you moved into leadership positions. And I think there's a difference between being, you know, E4, E5, you know, but then when you get up into six and seven, 
Um, it's you become a leader of men and there's a difference be, between, you know, like I tell a lot of people, you know, I, I, I was an NCO and I lived the NCO creed. Um, I tried to be the best leader I can be where, mm-hmm. you know, guys would actually try to would run through a wall if I asked him to, right. I cared, cared about him. Right. So talk to us what real leadership is about. So, um, to me, and in, in this line of work, we, uh, you know, military works on rank, right? You salute the rank, but you respect the man, you know, mm-hmm. or you don't. And that's the bottom line of it. In those tight units, man, that 17 years are 20 under, I mean, right now we're spending special hours for me. So for intensive purposes, I grow up in, in this environment. The level of skill, uh, and the wisdom that you are exposed to on a daily basis is is next to none. And it's not, I'm not talking about the book knowledge, uh, Ricky, I'm talking about the, the, the wisdom of being there, having done that, and the, the, the realism that one gains, you know, while doing so. So what is leadership? Leadership to me especially in this environment when we 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 have a jargon you know in south we all call each other brothers and stuff rank doesn't matter to us because you know it's the man that saves your life it's not the rank that he's wearing you know and you respect him or not based on what he's capable to do realistically but leadership is is first of all you have to have you have to go through the shittiest moments in life with your men um and share them more so than the good stuff, you know, the good moments that you have. So then when you sit in front of them, when you are putting in there, having done that, they can look at you and they say, you know what? I know that what he's telling me comes from an, for having been exposed to it. You know, this is not something that, you know, you stick a finger in somebody's, someone's face and he will execute no questions asked. This is not how our world operates. Uh, and being able to influence people and, and, and make them believe, Rick. Because the point for us is, is not, do you get it? You know, The point is, do you get it when it matters? In other words, when the pressure is on. And looking at a uh, problem set exactly one time and being able to come up with a course of action the best course of action under the circumstances, and they, your when I'm saying they, the the guys that are assigned to you, uh, being able to trust that whatever decision you made is the best under the circumstances. It's it's very easy in life to choose the right from wrong. Like what is harder is to choose the wrong that is more right, and that's where we operate. And and that's to me is leadership. You know, you look at somebody in the eye and genuinely he's following you because of the way you are the way that you present yourself your entire charisma your entire background your entire your you are a person you are not a rank and this will translate down range to foreign countries when you go in they look at you and there is always a difference between someone who can meet you halfway versus someone that comes condescending to you and 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 uh, people relate differently to each one. If it doesn't make sense, what I'm telling you, that means oh, leadership. Oh, it definitely does. And you know, like for me, um, like I, we have a couple friends in common, me and you. I don't know if you know that. 
Um, Herb Thompson is a great friend of mine. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Chris McPhee, you know, yeah. is, and so any kind, any friends of theirs is a friend of mine. Yeah. You know, yeah. Now, you're, now that you're about to, you know, transition out in the next couple of months, what are some of your goals and, you know, what kind of work are you looking to get into and what, what is your interest now? So I, uh, it's, it's a good question. You know, a lot of the things that uh, uh, I wanted uh, and I was thinking of on doing uh, beyond past my retirement, you know, as with either with consulting or, or training or coaching, mentoring, you know, uh, but it, uh, the, the realist, the realism of this with Corona and the uh, parts of the world that I wanted to operate, most of them are still shut down right now. So ultimately the goal is to have something on my own, you know, have my own company uh, eventually, but I'm probably, I'm going to take a long, <laughs> what to whatever extent that takes uh, a long vacation, take my family somewhere and spend some time with them. And then from there, uh, most likely will be uh, the, the contracting world first, and then eventually opening my own uh, 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 company. You know, I love that. You know, and one of the things I love about operators is it's all about the team. Oh, dude! You know, <laughs> you know, yeah. like you know, and in, in football, I'm a big football guy. Yeah, I always believe it's the people. The people. You know, it's not the name on the back of the jersey that's important. It's in, no. the, on the front. So talk to us about building a strong team. Oh, God. So, Rick, I, uh, so I've done, you know, throughout, throughout one's career, you know, you're going to do different jobs within the community, you know, and you're going to learn different skill sets. And then you, you're going to grow if you will, as an operator, you know, until you come full circle. Um, so building a, a team, what's what's the most important thing? I, I was blessed to be part of a very specialized unit for a certain amount of years within SOF. Um, uh, and, you know, we're not going to give names, but I understand yeah. it was a tier one unit. Okay, so... In there, the team, you, I don't know if it makes sense to somebody, and I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about pure civilians mm -hmm. who otherwise have not been exposed to this kind of environment or this kind of mentality. But here is what it boils down to, for me at least, especially when I was in there. Uh, right before we, and I'm, right before we went in any mission, you know, you do your, circle you know gun life sites and all that and then then we had this pregnant pause you know that we just looked at each other right before either the helos took off or you know we jumped in our trucks and went on our way and and this is something that we didn't do in training this is not something to rehearse in training you know it's, it's something that just naturally happened working with guys in that kind of a high risk environment and you realize rick that at that point, I and this is what this is not just me right now. This is just us talking amongst ourselves afterwards, and, and it came out. It's actually true for everybody. When you are on a tier one unit, you you before you even launch in your mind, you are already dead. And once you realize this, Rick, it, it is a peace of mind that comes with that. 
so that the most important thing in this world, Rick, more so than the life, your own life, is the life of the man next to you. I mean, this is not a catchphrase, man. This is something that naturally happens in those environments. So now when you go to prosecute a target or to you know, hostage rescue or whatever, and you, you can plan the entire world up to the bridge point from there, it's all free flow, right? When that man turns his back, entering a room, he doesn't hope. He knows absolute marrow deep that you are right behind him. And this helps you not to pull your punches, for lack of a better term. I don't know if it makes sense to you, but the, oh, the wow. life and the well-being of the person sitting next to you becomes more important than your own. And then they do the same. They will think the same. And this creates some, that synergy that is very hard to put into words, but it is there. And that will make you to be more successful than otherwise. And, and it's, it's an amazing feeling, brother. And there is no training, Greg. There is no training that can truly duplicate the real life, you know. But once you've been through that, you truly get it. And then, then you can say, yes, I, you, you truly come full circle because you have the understanding of what that means. That doesn't make sense what I'm telling you, brother. Oh, this is how I feel, man. And, oh, no, it makes sense. Yeah. Cause I remember when I was an NCO, you know, and I had my guys, they were always, they, you know, I always made sure that they were taken care of, that they that they got home safe, and that was my my most important thing. Oh, now, yes, yeah. Now I've got a question to ask, and I don't yeah. ask to everybody, but talk to us about your faith and how your faith has gotten you through some of this stuff. Yeah, and I want well, to thank. Rick, by the way, I want to thank you for being a brother in Christ. Oh, brother, please don't. Yes, thank you again. You know, thank you for having me, Rick. I, I was, I still have it to this day, Rick. I, I, I don't, I believe in God. You understand? I believe in, in a higher power and I believe in good in this world, even though my life proved me otherwise. You know, um, I've seen the best and the worst of human nature, Rick. And, and I came to realize that, that, um, uh, no matter what happened, Rick, in your darkest moments, one has something that you, you turn to and you, I, I always say, you know, God bring me and my man back home. And from here on out, he helped me with that peace of mind that I was talking about earlier. Uh, I grew up in a place, Rick, to where the government itself demolished churches. You know, there was the communists, there was the Marx Lenin mentality, you know basically was kind of the cult of one, if you will. The only God is the government, you know. So I, I'm not, this is not something that I read in books. It's something I lived through. And our faith is under those circumstances, you know, is what kept us going, you know, and it kind of like rubbed off. Now, I'm not a Christian to the point where I can recite you the Bible, Rick. But here is what I know. I know that no matter what happens, I know in my heart of hearts that if I go in the middle of the desert and I kneel down next to a bush, he's there. And that's all I need to bring me home. Uh, that is my faith. One of my favorite, favorite conversations of all time. And I just want to say thank you, brother, for taking the time and hanging out with me and dropping some serious knowledge and talking real talk. <laughs> 
not talking that BS crap. <laughs> so I'm just so grateful, brother. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you for having me, Rick, and I wish you the best of luck, brother, in everything that you do. Oh, I'm so humbled and grateful. And this will go out in a couple of weeks, brother. I'm so grateful and so happy that you're a friend of mine. Thank you. Absolutely, Rick. Please be safe. All right, God bless you. God bless you too, my brother. Please be safe. Hey, guys. If you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out. Hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee. And, and it will it will get you moving in the morning. So guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out. Leave us a note. Tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built. So if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.